0: We all have these stories. We've all been broken in various ways, and and we will be broken again. If we live long enough, that's what happens. The question is not if we're going to be hurt, and I'm talking about hurt with a capital H. The question is when are we going to be hurt, and then the follow-up question is what are we going to do with that hurt? We live in a broken world where things go wrong, where uh, people we love uh, die, where marriages break apart, we lose things like our health. our our job or our innocence. At some point, we realize that uh, the dreams that we had about who we were going to be or what we were going to do were not going to, um, to come true. There are a lot of losses out there. Some of them are major, and when they're significant enough, we, uh, we go into shock. And we looked at that last uh, weekend, and, and now we're looking at the next phase. It's not quite as linear of a process as I am suggesting, I, I trust you know that. But the, there is a little bit of a, of a, of a linear stage. And after shock comes sorrow or grief. And by this, um, I mean the emotional suffering we feel when someone or something that we love um, is taken away. Obviously, the more significant the loss, the more significant the grief. And uh, this is well beyond the pain of uh, a broken bone, right? This is an existential attack on who we are. This is, a, this is when our heart breaks. This is a wound to our soul. This is, this is the, uh, something that we describe as uh, mourning or anguish. We're in misery. It's the opposite of, of joy. Today, for our purposes in this series, I want to make a distinction between grief And depression. Now that's a bit of drawing a line in the sand that doesn't really exist, but um, I'm recognizing grief as the one of the early stages of processing a loss. And depression as being something that's a little bit more substantial and steady state. Um, Depression has different triggers. One of the triggers of depression is uh, a major event, a loss that we haven't processed well yet. And it's almost as if our body goes into slow motion and it's telling us, you have to go back. You have to think this through. Uh, we haven't hurt enough. Uh, this, the, the, the grief that is unattended to becomes a little toxic and comes back. There are other causes of depression, some are chemical. Uh, we know that there's often a genetic component here and that some people need medical treatment to move through the depression they're in. There's a variety of additional causes and factors about depression. We're not looking at depression today. We're not, also not looking at what some have referred to as the dark night of the soul. We're talking about grief. We're talking about our, our response to loss, our natural reaction uh, to the losses that we face, from the loss of a major game, to the loss of a job, to a loss of hope, to a loss of a spouse, loss of a child. And um, today, I want to I set uh, a number of points in front of you. You, you. you will know, we grieve differently, men and women will often grieve differently over the same event, And culturally, there's different expressions of grief. But you'll know if this is what we're talking about because you describe this kind of sadness as you know, I just can't, uh, I just don't have any energy. I can't make any decisions, not even small ones. Um, I can't sleep. Uh, I'm sad. I'm crying all the time. Uh, I I wonder if God cares. That's the kind of grief that we're talking about. It's a natural reaction to major loss. Today I want to make six points for you about grief. Number one, grief is a normal part of life in a broken world. Some people wrongly believe that if they are a follower of Christ, that uh, they will not suffer grief because they will not suffer the losses that lead to grief. Uh, this is all wrong. That's never the promise. There's no deal that we make with God that I'm going to believe or I'm going to be good and consequently everything is going to work out for me very easily. That's never a promise in Scripture. Quite the opposite. We see that because God is more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort, we will often go through very difficult things in order for us to be matured. One of the passages in Scripture, we looked at this uh, a while back in our study of Luke. And we will, by the way, get back to our study of Luke uh, in January. But in the amazed section, we looked at this uh, Christ calming the storm. Right, it's also in Mark 4. and Jesus tells the disciples to get in a boat and to sail across to the other side. They get in this boat. They're doing what he says. <clears throat> he's there with them. A storm comes up. Suddenly, they fear for their life, and Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. And they wake him up, you know, don't you care, we're going to die, and he famously calms the storm. And when we looked at this, I said, look, this is part of the whole set of things that Christ does early in his ministry in order to, to prove that he's more than just a teacher, So he shows his power over sickness, he shows his power over death, he shows his power over evil, and here and in other places he shows his power over nature. So the big point of this passage is to see Jesus is not just a gifted rabbi, he's more than that. But one of the other things we can take away from this this passage is that you can be doing exactly what Jesus tells you to do. And find yourself in a horrific storm and think you're gonna die. Because that's what was happening to the disciples. So, I just wanna say grief is a normal part of the losses that we're gonna face no matter who we are in this broken world. Point number two grieving is not wrong or unspiritual. Some people think that although they're gonna suffer losses, because They are a Christ follower. They will not grieve. Instead, they will have a happy face, and they will be able to move through this very quickly because we're told to be joyful all the time. And consequently, they think that grieving is wrong. It's unspiritual. Okay? Well, no. As a matter of fact, many very spiritual people grieve. In the Old Testament, we see that the prophets were often grieving. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet because he cried so much. And one of the books that he wrote is the book of Lamentations. Well, a lamentation, to lament, is to cry out to God in anger and frustration. And the book that he wrote was this long lament. It's this long complaint directed to God for the destruction of Jerusalem. So, we see Jeremiah grieving. We see King David, a man after God's own heart, writing all these psalms, about half of which express anger and confusion and frustration. Many people think that the book of Psalms is all prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Well, you only think that if you haven't read it, right, there's some really raw, angry stuff that gets directed at God for what is going on. And it's prayed by people like David, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus cries out on the cross is a quote of Psalm 22. There are many psalms that just are in God's face. Let me say this. God can handle your anger and your confusion. Take it to him. Don't complain about God to other people. Bring your anger, your f- confusion, your frustration, your hurt and pain directly to God. His shoulders are plenty broad enough to handle your cries. And really, it's sort of an act of worship, right? Who, you're going to God with these things, right? Who else can you go to? So we take it to God. So we see these, these cries of grief being coming from prophets. We see it coming from David. When we get into the New Testament, we see uh, cries of grief coming from Paul, who says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he's very sorrowful. Sorrow and grief being synonymous. Hey, we see cries of grief coming from Jesus. He he cries at Lazarus' funeral. In Isaiah 53, we're told that he's a man acquainted with uh, with sorrows, a man of grief. In, uh, In Luke 23, we see him grieving over Jerusalem. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says... Blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who cry out. Blessed are those who are broken. So so we've got to get away from this idea that grieving is uh, unspiritual. Now, it is worth noting that those who know Christ don't grieve the same way as those who do. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. Eternity changes everything. Remember, no matter how bad it's going for you right now, nothing in heaven has changed. God is still God. Christ is still at the right hand. Things will work out. God will will be the, the master of every situation that we're in. He will be able to use it for good. If not in ways that we can see in this life, he will use it for good in light of our ever after. And so we don't grieve as those who have no hope, 1 Thessalonians 4. And additionally, we who have come to faith in Christ have the Holy Spirit who is called the Comforter, who who brings comfort to us. So point number uh, three, grief is a choice. We have the opportunity to lean in to the pain that we are facing. Loss is unavoidable. But grief is a choice. Some people uh, unconsciously suppress the grief and pain that they're feeling. We call that repression. Some people consciously make a decision to not face it. We call that suppression. Those are unhealthy ways forward. I happen to know a fair bit about them because that's the way I grew up. My family didn't really do emotions, certainly not negative emotions. So I didn't have any example of how you deal with failure, how you process that, how you grieve that. Additionally, I got some very bad advice from my dad, who apologized for this, but when I was young, he said, I was crying, I can't remember what it was about, I don't remember many of the circumstances. Um... It was a trivial thing, I believe, but my dad came in and he said, Stop it. This is pathetic. This is weak. This is it's never gonna happen again. I never want to see you cry again. Grow up. Right? Now that was that was bad advice. His advice wasn't specifically stuff it, you know, stuff your emotions. But that's the only thing I knew how to do in order to not ever cry. And by the way, I didn't always do what my dad said, but I followed him on this advice and I kept it for about 15 to 20 years. I didn't cry. It didn't matter what was happening, I didn't cry. And it was only after I was married that I realized this is really a bad thing, not a good thing. It's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of trouble. And I had to work for quite a while, a couple of years, to sort of get back to the point where I could feel that, that pain. And here's one of the things you've got to realize. If you stuff negative emotions, you're stuffing positive emotions as well. You can't be selective on this. If you're turning off sorrow, you're turning off joy. And uh, so that was, I want to say, grieving, facing the grief, facing your pain. Is, is, the, is the way forward. And I realize that some men in particular have no category for this because you grew up with the, look, just uh, stuff it. Keep those negative emotions to yourself. That leads to the fourth point. Um, grief will find an outlet. Okay, the first thing I've said is grief is a normal part of life in a broken world. Secondly, grief... Uh, is not unspiritual. Thirdly, grieving is a choice. The fourth point I'm making is that grief will find an outlet. Grief is like water trying to get into your basement. Right? It's going to win. Uh, the first house we bought, it was very, very much a fixer upper. We had nothing of any value in the base in the basement. But I came around the corner one day, walking down the stairs, and as I look at the bottom, we got about six inches of water in the basement. So, I know nothing about what to do about this, so I get the wet back out and I suck up water for about two hours. And then I set out trying to patch the cracks that were in the wall, thinking, oh, the water's coming in through the cracks, I'll just patch these cracks and, and I'll fix it. Yeah, that didn't work. So, after a couple months of patching cracks and going, more cracks, whatever I do, there's more cracks and the water's coming in, somebody finally said to me, you know, You just gotta work with it. You gotta let it in, but put a sump pump in so that you can handle it. You can get to it before the water table gets to the basement floor because you're never gonna patch all these cracks. Well, grief is a little bit like water. It's gonna find a way in. And so um, you, you have to deal with it in healthy ways. Some of the unhealthy ways that we deal with grief One of them is to stuff it. Now, I I had this advantage going for me, and that is that I didn't face any huge problems that overrode my ability to say, I'm gonna deal with my grief, I'm gonna deal with my sorrow by just getting up earlier tomorrow and hitting this harder so that I don't fail. That was my MO, and that was applauded by my dad, so that's all I knew, right? If you didn't get the grade on the test that you wanted, then write extra credit papers, study, 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 just succeed. That's the only option, and so that worked for me because I didn't face any real big hurts. Uh, there are other, there are other socially acceptable but ultimately unhealthy ways to deal with grief. One of them is running, and Runner's World uh, a while back had. Fascinating articles. I don't think they realized what they were doing. But they ran one month an article on Zola Budd, who's, who's there uh, on the right side of the screen. Zola was the young South African girl who ran barefoot and uh, was in the Olympics. And that Mary Decker Slaney went down. A lot of controversy. Frank Shorter is the American who won a gold medal in the marathon in 1972. And in many ways is credited with sort of launching the running craze in the United States. Uh, So both of these people in long articles about them, both of them effectively say the same thing. I became a world-class runner because running hard was the only time I could mask the emotional pain I felt. The physical pain of running was my only time that I was able to deal with my emotional pain. So, So they both had horrible family stories, and Zola uh, says that the only respite that she had in life was with her older sister, and then her older sister tragically died. And she said, I just ran and ran and ran. That whole next couple years, I just ran and ran and ran and ran. And she goes, my emotional pain led me to run myself into world-class shape. Frank Shorter's father was a monster, abused the kids horrifically. Frank was scared of his dad. He said, when my dad was, was down to 90 pounds, laying in a hospital bed with cancer within hours of his death, he goes, I was still scared to go in and see him because of the things that he had done for me, to me. And he said, we just, he goes, I ran because physical pain was the only time I could mask the emotional pain. Okay? It's another socially acceptable way to go. You know, there's a difference between running to relieve stress and running to relieve that kind of deep pain. Additionally, there are, there are socially unacceptable and ultimately unhealthy ways that people deal with pain. Okay? One of them is the practice of cutting yourself. Right? So taking so a razor and people will cut themselves, and they're doing it because the pain helps mask the pain. Others self-medicate with alcohol or drugs, right to try and mask the pain. Others see grief, right, that is finding dysfunctional ways out. Others see their grief expressed in anger. Robert Lewis, the uh, the guy who founded Men's Fraternity, had anger issues. His father was uh, had an alcohol issue, was unable to get on, on top of it, uh, unemployable, you know, doesn't show up at any of the major events in Robert's life because he's he's passed out. And Lewis really is angry about this. He doesn't realize it. And for a while, the anger works because he just plays a really wicked middle linebacker in football. And he can channel his anger into uh, being a a star in a Division I team that's going to play for the national championship. But then when he's in his early 30s and he's a pastor, uh, he realizes he's got anger issues and he doesn't know what's going on. Let's watch this uh, brief clip of him talking about this.
1: I was on a retreat in Colorado one day, and uh, part of that day I started thinking about my dad, just thinking about what were the good things I experienced with my dad and there were a lot of good things as i've told you about, but one of the things that hit me in that moment because I was still struggling with anger in that, but one of the things that hit me in that moment was I began to think of all the things that I wish me and my dad could have done that we didn't get to do and And this may sound strange to you guys, but I think that was the first time I ever thought those thoughts about what we missed. Not what he did, but what we missed. That's a whole different thought pattern. And suddenly when I started thinking about all the things that I wish we had had more of or we could have done, for the first time, I told you I didn't feel a lot when I was a young man, except anger. But for the first time, these big old tears came to my eyes which kind of surprised me because I'm not a weepy type at all. And then the more I thought about it, the more the tears began to just flood down my face. And I began to find myself kind of banging the table, not in anger anymore, but in grief over what I missed and what he missed and what we missed together. And I know he didn't want to miss those things. And then something magical happened. In the midst of those tears, I forgave my dad. Because I realized he never, ever intended to do the things that actually happened in our home. And you know, men, you'll never be free from the past until you can let dad go. Until you can forgive him and realize... He was just a man. You wanted him to be your hero. But he was just a man with his own stuff.
0: Grief will find an outlet. Point number five. Grieving is healthy. Cover-ups don't get Comforted. They don't get better. They just become dysfunctional. Facing the pain is hard, but it's the right thing to do. In fact, it's the only healthy option we have. If you don't face the pain of major losses, and some of you haven't, then you will get stuck, and some of you are. You were hurt by your father or your mother or a teacher or a coach or a bully or a racist or a jerk or a boss. You were cheated. You were um, robbed or raped or abused or bullied. And instead of facing that pain and feeling that hurt, you, uh, you pushed it down. And you are now stuck with that. And major losses that are not processed become... Uh, Toxic, It becomes poison in our system and it goes bad and it leads to depression or anger or addictions or something else. And this is often perhaps especially true for people that are young because they don't have as many of the skills, as many of the life skills to process what is going on in their life. Perhaps the first counseling appointment I ever had stands out in my mind I was a college pastor at the time and two um, freshman girls came to see me and the one said I'm here for my roommate she can't say mom and so I looked at this young woman and I said you can't say mom she goes no I said and this isn't about like you just can't say it I mean you can say tom and you can say milk so you can say mom she goes right I can talk I can't say mom and I go okay well So tell me about your mom. She goes, well, she died. And I said, I'm very sorry to hear that. How did she die? She said, well, uh, I don't know. I said, well, when when did she die? She goes, she died when I was eight. And I said, well, how do you not know how she died? She goes, well, we don't talk about it. I said, you don't talk about it. She goes, no, not at all. It's never come up. My dad says nothing about it. I said, okay, well, I think we figured out why you can't say mom. Uh, now we have to figure out uh, who you're going to go see to talk about this, because I'm sure you're going to re- require more skill as a therapist than I have. Uh, I, I knew that somehow she was going to have to grieve. Somehow she was going to have to face this. She had been wronged and she had been hurt. And there was, there was a, a right way to move through that. Seldom is it quite that clear cut, Right. Seldom can you, can you just so clearly link the dysfunctional behavior with, uh, with the loss. But it's always there. And so we need to deal with it in healthy ways. And that leads to the sixth and final point that I have, and that is that God has given us tools to deal with our grief. One of them is uh, emotions and the ability to cry. Have you ever thought about how odd it is to cry? I mean, what's that all about? What's happening to us? Right? Other animals don't cry like we cry. And so this is a gift that God has given us to help us process the pain that we're experiencing. A second thing that God has given us to help us work through pain is each other. Right? We are better together and we are expected to care for each other. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 said that we are to carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. We, We need each other. We need each other to help us see ourselves. We need each other to carry the grief. One of the amazing things here is that joy, happiness, when we share it, multiplies. Sorrow, grief, when we share it, is divided and carried by others. God has given us each, each other to help us work through these major losses. And finally, and I mentioned this before, God has not just given us tears to cry, he's not just given us each other, he's given us prayers to pray, and we find those in the Psalms, right? In the book of Lamentations, we, fi- we find cries to God to change things. And to answer some of our questions. And we find in these psalms that people are very, very honest and that there is a cathartic effect of just praying these prayers as your own. Men and women, God cares for you. He loves you. He sent his son to provide a way back. If you turn to him, he will never say, stop crying, stuff it, move on, man up. That's not what he's going to say. We're told that he is compassionate, a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who honor him. He understands how weak we are. So take your pain, your fear, your frustration, your confusion, take it to him and uh, allow him to help you process that pain. Well, there are other things that probably could and should be said one of them is that grief takes time. Um, you, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to grieve today and then be better tomorrow, or I'll grieve this week and be better next week. It's just not that neat. So let me add to the list of things that you should never say. Remember under last week I said under the show up and shut up uh, column, I said never say things like, oh, I know how you feel, or... Uh, you know, God is in control, he's going to work it out. Those, there's a time for those statements, but not when someone is in shock. So here's another thing that you should never say. You should never say, what, aren't you over that yet? Okay? First of all, we don't get over it. We get through it. Right? When we're grieving, whatever the event is, is like right here, and it's all we can see. And we think, I am defined. I am the guy who got fired from his job. I am the, I am the mother whose child died, right? I, and it's all you can see. And you think that that's who you are. It's your story. Well, I want to say, it's not your story. It's a part of your story, right? If you're a mother who lost a child, that will always be an important part of your story. But it's going to get smaller and smaller. It's going to move out. And pretty soon it becomes something that we can see around. For a while, I felt like I'm a stroke victim. That's who I am, right? That's that's what everything looks like. That's how everybody sees me. And I had to very consciously remind myself, no, I'm a child of God. I'm not just a stroke victim. And then that began to recede. So there is much that could be and should be said Next up, we're going to look at sorrow. Next week, Luis Palau is here, so you want to be sure and be here for that. And the following week, I will return to this, and we're going to look at the next stage in this, and that is sorrow. Let me pray for us as we prepare to go to communion.